Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, El Dorado. Together they form the world's greatest force, dedicated to truth, peace and justice for all mankind. These are the, the Superman of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 137 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode will begin the second half of my coverage of season 7 of Super Friends. This is what we're, what is commonly referred to as the Lost Season, and I'll be covering weeks 5 and 6 on this episode. So, there were 8 weeks of Super Friends produced for this season, which means 4 episodes. This is the third. And believe it or not, next week I'm, I'm going to be putting the Finishing touches on yet another season of Super Friends as we barrel toward the end of this section of the Man of Screen podcast. After I finish episode 138 next week, we go right right on to season 8 of Super Friends without interruption. That is the legendary Superpowers show. Then there will be a break for Supergirl coverage. And then season 9, the uh, Super Friends Galactic Guardians show. That I believe will run be another four episodes. And then... And I will completely finish another era of this podcast with my coverage of Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. That should take us through about November. And then I will decide my plans from there before heading into, uh, obviously, the next phase of the podcast would be to head into Ruby Spears and Superboy. But depending on how things are going at that point, I may take a uh, another hiatus just to uh, get some episodes in before I uh, resume. And maybe take a break for the holidays as I expect to uh, finish that section by uh, November. So, I want to get right into this week's coverage. Before I do, I have feedback to address. Feedback is, as usual, from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 126, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I must say that overall, I'm not having quite as much fun with these short Superfriend stories. This isn't a knock on your treatment of them. It's just that, as you've pointed out, they could have used more time to let the stories develop, so they often feel rushed and choppy. I only have a few small points to make here. The first one is not episode-specific. I have recently begun noticing that Zan's common exclamation is Jupiters, and I have to wonder, just how many Jupiters does he think there are? The other comment is based on your thoughts on telepathy in the story The Incredible Crude Oil Monster, when you doubted that telepathy works like radar. Obviously, I don't really know how telepathy works, but here's a possible explanation. Telepathy would probably involve some level of two-way communication between the sender and receiver, so there might be a kind of reflection of telepathic waves, similar to the reflection of radio waves in radar or sound waves in sonar. Again, I'm no expert on telepathy, but that's my no prize in explanation for what it's worth. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Again, I kind of agree with Dave that these episodes don't really give you a lot to chew on, these uh, seven-minute short episodes. I'm really hoping when I get to next season to the Legendary Superpowers show, there is a little more to chew on as the stories are going to be a little bit longer. They're still half of, they're probably going to be 11-minute episodes instead of seven. So maybe uh, a little bit extra room to breathe will help. But I guess we'll see. As far as Dave's first question, I don't know how many Jupiters Zan thinks there are. That is a question we will have to pose to our favorite Wonder Twin. And as far as how telepathy works, yeah, I guess Dave's explanation is as good as anything. Maybe he can follow the thoughts to... Their source kind of like a direction. Maybe he could tell like where they're coming from the way, like when we hear sound waves, we can tell where they're coming from. So maybe it is something similar with telepathy. I do not know. 
and uh, the incredible crude oil monster. Is as I recall, that is the episode where they defeated the monster with soap. I think laundry detergent, I believe, is what it was because you know it laundry soap breaks down your oils and your tough stains. One of the episodes I'm going to be covering this week, uh, it'll, it's in the it'll be in the second segment, the uh, Malusian Blob. Spoiler warning: they defeat that with another household product. So I guess we. Uh, there is a little bit of a similarity between those two episodes. And it's always, and it's always interesting to see sometimes uh, the episode I'm doing feedback on seems to have a almost like a, rever- a reverberation in the episode coverage later on. But I have nothing further to add to what Dave said. So if you'd like to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Man the screen at gmail.com. I'd really uh, like to hear from you. And Dave would like to hear from somebody other than himself. <laughs> so at this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back and head into week five of Super Friends The Lost Season. Hang around, folks. Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at 2TrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 8th, 1983. And we're going to start with Return of the Phantoms. And all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. After three criminals named Logar, Hall, and Romlock escape from the Phantom Zone, they travel back in time in order to destroy Superman when he was just Superboy. At long last, we're free of the Phantom Zone. It's been too long to remember since Superman put us in this nightmarish void to pay for our crime. But we're out now, Logar, and being from planet Krypton, we're just as strong as Superman. Strong enough to destroy him. Excuse me, but you could at least thank me for releasing you. Just be happy that we don't destroy you, little man. Please, just let me go back to my time-space conveyor, and you'll never see me again. Time-space conveyor, eh? That gives me a great idea. We can go back in time to when Superman was a boy, and eliminate him before he ever grows up to bother us. Come on, little man. You're taking us back into time. But I... you... The Super Friends must figure out some way to stop them. Before you send us back to the Phantom Zone, Superman, there's one thing I want to know. How did you find us back in the past? Simple. I told Superman you were looking for him. Have a nice trip back to the Phantom Zone. Uh, thanks for your help. Don't thank me. You did it all by yourself. So long. I'll see you in the future. I... I wonder what he meant by that. There's your synopsis. Very short, very sweet, and very to the point. And 
What it does not tell you is that they do find a way to stop them in interesting fashion. So let's go into this episode, shall we? A very uh, Superman-centric episode, as this episode does reveal to us that this version of Superman did start out as Superboy. So we we have an alien uh, flying through space in uh, some kind of invisible spacecraft. We can tell it's an invisible spacecraft because, you know, it kind of looks like Wonder Woman's invisible jet. It's, a, it's like a, a pyramid-type shape just with the... All you see are the outer lines just to tell us, the viewer, that there is a spaceship. The uh, people in that universe probably couldn't see it at all, but it's uh, doing something, and it releases three beings that were trapped into the Phantom Zone. This is as the uh, synopsis mentioned, Logar, Hall, and Romlock. And so here we go. We've got three Kryptonian criminals escaping out of the zone. Seems like another riff on Superman, too. We've already seen something similar with uh, the episode in which Superman faced uh, Zai Kree, who looked a lot like General Zod. even seemed to have his beard in his suit. So they discover this alien, which looks like uh, the stereotypical UFO alien with his big bug eyes. But when he floats around in space, it looks kind of uh, papery and almost uh, very flat and two-dimensional. So what happens is they go back into the past with uh, his uh, time device. And here we go to Smallville. And here we have Superboy. And like I mentioned, like his Earth-1 counterpart, the super friend Superman began his superhero career as Superboy. And uh, as he's doing his stuff, Superboy is waylaid by the three Kryptonians who are trying to prevent their own capture by killing Superboy before he can put them in the zone as Superman. Or back in the zone as Superman, I assume. If they survived Krypton, they had already been in the Phantom Zone in some fashion. So this is uh, apparently the first time Superboy has seen someone from Krypton. So he's postulating that they have his weaknesses. So he finds some Kryptonite that he's got stashed away and but he is overpowered by his opponents. So the bad guys get the kryptonite, and they turn it on Superboy, but all of a sudden, Green Lantern shows up out of nowhere, and he takes the kryptonite and kind of hits it with a tennis racket from his ring, and off that goes into the into wherever it goes. And then Superman shows up, uh, breaking an apparent uh, DC Comics rule that you can't exist in the same time twice, a rule that really never makes any sense to me. If you go back into the past and you, you existed there, it stands to reason that you would exi- exist twice. The version of you that would be indigenous to that time period and the version of you that is traveling. You know, kind of like what we would see in uh, Back to the Future. Freak. Not so fast, Luz. Superman! Superman? But you're not supposed to be in this time period. That's just what I was about to tell you. Get them! So now we've got a fight in our hands as Superman and Green Lantern dispatch the Kryptonians with some help from Superboy. So now uh, that they can't fight the uh, the heroes outright, the criminals are going to burrow to the core of the planet to destroy it. And I must say, this uh, passing motorist is awfully calm about seeing a volcano in Martha Kent's backyard. You know, as if that's a normal thing to see. And I like how the motorist, when saved by Green Lantern, doesn't know who he is. Sometimes... Uh, these people just recognize the heroes without explanation. Like, it always uh, baffles me how aliens from distant galaxies know who the super friends are. I mean, yeah, I can understand that at least Superman gets into space once in a while, but for them to be well-known uh, throughout the universe sometimes seems a little uh, hard to wrap my brain around. But no, he just says, uh, thanks, green guy, or guy in green, or whatever it was. And that's good, because Green Lantern doesn't exist yet in this timeline, and uh, you would think the motorist would be a little more surprised at what he's seeing, uh, I mean, yes, Superboy exists in this time, but it's unclear how long Superboy has existed, and it's possible that Fantastical is not really such a common thing on this planet yet. So, Green Lantern stitches the volcano, and now our three criminals are going to break the planet, and uh, Superman and Superboy wrap the criminals in their capes, and that's enough to contain them. I know that the cape is indestructible, but if you wrapped two earthly capes around me and two other people, we'd probably be able to break through the towels. And likewise, these Kryptonians should probably be able to break out of these capes. So, here is our explanation of how Superman and Green Lantern randomly showed up in the past. The alien from the beginning that we saw 
took Superman and Green Lantern into the past after kind of ushering the three villains there. So he probably saw they were up to no good, and he got some help. Good good alien. So Superboy in our ending is a little bit dense, as he's not putting together that the Superman he encountered is himself from the future. Despite Superman's I'll see you in the future line. You know, come on, kid, get with the program here. But despite that, a good episode. They, uh, I've really had high ratings for just about any of the episodes that really really relied heavily on Superman concepts and had Superman in it. That one mixed against Pitalik episode that didn't have Superman in it is still kind of annoys me. They keep going to the Phantom Zone villain well for Superman stories, but I like like to doing different things with them. This time travel was a neat wrinkle. But, you know, as always, it'll have been longer. You definitely could have flushed this out to a better story in twenty one minutes. Alright. So next is Bully for You, and our synopsis follows. After 10th grader, Ernie Wilcox gets bullied by a couple of seniors. Hey, gorgeous Gloria, how about a date tonight with the captain of the football team? Oh, I can't, Vinny. I've got a date with Ernie Wilcox. (coughs) That bimbo? Why, he couldn't even tackle my grandmother. Uh, hi guys, somebody call me? Yeah, the hospital. They found out you're on the football team and want to reserve a bed for you. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Gloria. You want to talk with apes, we can go to the zoo. Hold it, Big Mouth. I'll show you who the monkey is around here. Ernie might be a lousy football player, but he'd make a great mascot. Right! The Gotham Gorilla! (laughs) Don't let it bother you, Ernie. They're just trying to act tough. You're right, Gloria. I'm nothing but a wimp. He has his chance to get even by finding Batman's utility belt, which was lost in a rescue attempt. Ernie goes too far when he uses the molecular destabilizer, but the twins save him and the seniors. Ernie realizes then that being tough means believing in yourself. Someone want to tell me what happened? It was my fault, Batman. I found your belt and tried to use it to be tough, like you. Using my bat devices to destroy property and frightening people isn't what makes me tough. It's believing in myself. Batman's right. I'm not a wimp, Finny, because I'm tough enough to admit when I'm wrong. Say, Ernie, tomorrow at practice, watch the way I pass. All you need to do is change your grip, and you'll get another ten yards. Well... I must say, Ernie doesn't necessarily realize that Batman kind of tells him that at the end of the episode. Not really much of a realization if somebody has to give it to you. So, this is going to be our bullying episode, and the narrator describes this as an all-too-familiar experience. And sadly, in the years since this came out, that has not changed. Bullying is still alive and well in schools and life and wherever you're going to find people, you're going to find some form of bullying. It's not something that's even limited to children adult, or, you know, teenagers. Adults bully each other, too, for various reasons. And, you know, I'm not sure, despite all the anti-bullying programs you can put in school, I don't necessarily think it's something that's going to be stamped out. It's Unfortunately, it's a part of human nature, an ugly part of human nature, but... A part of human nature, nonetheless. So these guys are constantly teasing Ernie, and uh, they're going to humiliate him. And his, uh, I guess this is his girlfriend, Gloria. The uh, the seniors are hitting on her, calling her gorgeous Gloria. And uh, they're trying to, you know, get her to dump Ernie for at least one of them. Maybe two, you never know. And uh, his uh, girlfriend, you know, and Gloria tries to encourage Ernie, but he's kind of too down on himself to listen. You know, you see her right off the bat here, no confidence. And this kid doesn't look like he can do anything right so we go from there to wayne tower and some window washers are on their scaffolding as it breaks and uh they need a rescue usually a job for superman but not in this episode as uh 
Batman, Robin, and the Wonder Twins are all we've got available. So, and it's kind of funny because these guys start, kind of start falling and Batman and Robin notice these, these guys needing help. As soon as Zan says there isn't an ounce of trouble anywhere. And that's, like I said, that's when they hear the window washers so much for uh, Zan. So Batman and Robin are going to scale the building with their suction cups to, uh, like I said, take care of what really is a job for Superman. And uh, they grab the uh, the window washers and uh, Robin uh, parach- parachutes down with one of them and... Uh, the other one falls, though, and as he's falling, he knocks off Batman's utility belt, which I assumed had the parachute in it, but what I saw a few minutes later was that Batman was able to parachute down himself. But before Batman was able to parachute down, and like I said, the uh, the falling worker knocked off Batman's utility belt, the twins uh, are on the job as Jaina turns into a bloated octopus to break their fall, and the guy falls, and it turns out the utility belt is missing. That's not good. The utility belt in this area is basically what makes Batman Batman. The man is useless without it, without a all of his wonderful toys. But sure enough, to tie it back to our opening scene with the bullying, Ernie finds the utility belt, and he decides he can use this to get back at his tormentors, and this is not going anywhere good. Meanwhile, how uh, that utility belt got around Ernie's waist, I'll never know. Ernie seems to have a larger waist size than Batman, but maybe it has some elastic, I do not know. So Ernie uses Batman's gadgets to get net one of his bullies, and uh, in his attempt to show off for Gloria and the and the bullies, he uses a bat molecular a bat molecular destabilizer. Try saying that three times fast, and that weakens a local building. So Jaina becomes a spider and saves uh, Ernie and Gloria, and the bullies are saved by Zan. At which point, Batman shows up, turns off the device, and now we get the morality play as Ernie confesses. Batman lectures Ernie about how using uh, his devices don't make him tough, and he's right. He's using. Uh, well, for one thing, stolen equipment, or maybe not stolen, at the very least found, but it's clearly not his. I'm not sure if at any point Ernie realized that the belt belonged to Batman, but, you know, he turned those gadgets on those bullies, and you know what? They could have been hurt. They weren't, but they could have been. Kids are not going to really get hurt on this kind of television show. But Batman uh, instills Ernie with some confidence, saying that Batman saying his uh, gadgets aren't what makes him tough. It's his self-confidence. I'm pretty sure this Batman is more confident in his gadgets than himself, but that's neither here nor there. You know, a good message about, you know, having a self-confidence and that can propel you to do better, I guess, one way of putting it. I am surprised that there was no lecture about not taking revenge on people and how uh, that's not fulfilling and that won't help the situation. And no uh, lecture about being irresponsible, but not today. And, And after all this, the bullies, for some reason, want to be his friend. I am not sure why Ernie doesn't think he's a wimp anymore. I guess a few words from Batman uh, set him straight. Now he's confident. I don't know. Just too pat. A few words from... It'll take more than a few words from Batman to really build Ernie's self-confidence up to a point where he can feel better about himself. You know, it's a, it could be a start from Batman's belief in him, but it's going to be a lot of hard work on Ernie's part to uh, realize. But, you know, what I saw most of all in this episode was that the bullied was becoming the bully when he had something to even the odds. And that's... Always a danger when an abused person gets the power to do the same to others. Since they all they, since it's all they know sometimes, it's very easy to think that's the way it should be. And I guess maybe that's part of the reason some abusers, some abused become abusers themselves. And I'm sure there's also some substance abuse issues in there as well. You know, it's a vicious cycle and hopefully Ernie uh, has escaped it. You know, not a bad episode, you know, good message for kids uh, about not, you know, don't take devices you really don't know about, don't use equipment that you shouldn't be, and you know what? Don't point it at other people. That is definitely for one. Alright, so let's move on to Super Clone, and our synopsis is as follows. Aquaman and El Dorado are, are injured by animals during rescues. Welcome, my little pets. Have you done as you were ordered? Excellent. 
with what you've brought me. I shall soon be able to destroy the Super Friends. Yes, it's all here. Living cells from Aquaman and Eldorado's skin. It worked! I've cloned a new Aquaman and Eldorado. And this brainwave implanter will program their minds with the rest of my plans. Proceed with phase two. Yes, Brainiac. We will not fail you. He then captures the real heroes and has the two clones commit a crime and duplicate the rest of the super friends. Aquaman and Eldorado will please rise. You have been charged with piracy. How do you plead? Guilty. Guilty. But we weren't alone. They were in it with us. The super friends have turned against the people. No, it's not true. Aquaman and Eldorado escape in time to capture Brainiac and save the others from being jailed. Based on the evidence presented to this court, I find you all guilty. I think there's been a slight mistake, Your Honor. Aquaman? Eldorado? Don't worry, Superman. You're not seeing double. Brainiac cloned us and tried to make the rest of you look like criminals. This has obviously been a unique case of double jeopardy. Case dismissed. Looks like you'll be going on trial next, Brainiac. It's a good thing Brainiac's a mechanical android. I'd hate to see what would happen if he ever cloned himself. Alright, so here we are in Hawaii in the ocean, and here's a surfer dude who's about to be attacked by a shark. And apparently uh, no sharks are allowed here, as this shark wasn't particularly listening to Aquaman. And uh, once he rescues the kid, uh, he makes a super friend pun, which was quite painful to watch and listen to. And it's kind of interesting hearing uh, Aquaman tell the shark that there are no sharks uh, allowed in this area of the water, because, you know, sharks don't necessarily recognize signs (laughs) and whatnot. They just kind of go where they go. So, anyway, this is not the day for Aquaman and Eldorado, as they both kind of get blood drawn by the animals that attack them. A falcon uh, gets Eldorado, while the shark got Aquaman. And the animals bring the samples to Brainiac. So, here's Brainiac, a Superman villain, in an episode that has no sign of Superman. I guess Brainiac has no plans to uh, clone Superman. I'm not going to say there's no sign of Superman in the episode, because he does kind of show up later in the courtroom scene, and he does have a line or two, but he doesn't really participate in the main action, which is unfortunate. And apparently their costumes are in their DNA as the clones grow fully clothed. It's good because I have no desire to see either of them naked. So Aquaman runs into his clone and they grapple and fight. Aquaman fights his clone with aquatic telepathy, but the clone turns the tables on him with his own aquatic telepathy and Aquaman is captured. El Dorado is dispatched quickly by his own clone and then both of them are taken to Brainiac. So now, the next phase of Brainiac's plan is to create a sea monster and crash the ship into an iceberg so the clones can rob it. And of course, the captain complies. And it's becoming pretty clear right away that part of Brainiac's plan is to discredit the Super Friends. So, the two clones are arrested, and now we finally see Superman and the rest of the Super Friends for the first time. And at their arraignment, the clones implicate the Super Friends in the crimes. And this is not a bad plan, but I don't think leaving the best and most powerful superheroes. So at the arraignment, the clones implicate the Super Friends, and this is not a bad plan for Brainiac, but uh, because, you know, the Super Friends are very law-abiding. They're not going to, if 
the law sentences them to something, they are not going to fight it. They're just going to do what they are required to do. So eventually, Aquaman and Eldorado escape from Brainiac, and a fight ensues. Aquaman makes short work of a robot that looks like Boba Fett, and then immediately falls down and breaks. You know, not unlike Boba Fett in Star Wars movies. So that battle is pretty swift. And, uh, you know, I'm joking, this is just a big... And we get our first look at Trunkless Superman, appearing in 1983, as for a brief moment in, uh... The courtroom, the uh, coloring error didn't color Superman's red briefs, and his whole costume was blue for a second. And uh, for some reason, this season, they're coloring the S red and yellow on the cape. It's hard to call it an error when they're doing it consistently. They had just been doing it yellow before, but apparently this season, we're going to red and yellow. I prefer yellow, but as long as, as, long as they stay consistent with it, I'm okay with it. I'm just glad that the yellow S is on the cape. One of my big bone of contentions about modern animation and live-action Superman is the lack of the S on the cape. I mean, there's no real reason to have the S on the cape as far as, you know, an in-universe reason, but it was always there from almost from day one. In the first appearance of Lex Luthor in Action Comics 23, Superman has a yellow S on his cape. It's very small and poorly colored, but it's there. So the judge is awful quick and uh, the super friends are quickly being sentenced. I mean, immediately. I mean, sentencing usually takes place about a month after your arraignment. I mean, sentencing usually takes place about a month after your... uh, charged or plead in some in some small cases and not even a jury here. so but the case does get dismissed when the real eldorado and aquaman show up with the clones and then we show up with, so this judge is awful quick and they're being sentenced immediately i mean really immediately no jury no anything no show of a trial just nope you did this you're guilty and you're sentenced all in about 20 minutes in real life that would take at least two or three months especially for something small you know something larger would probably take even more time you know but i just hate seeing an episode that uses Brainiac as the villain, but wastes Superman the way it does. It's easy to complain when we had such a good Superman story to lead things off, and we're consistently getting good Superman stuff, but it's just weird to have Brainiac and have Superman be a non-factor. Just my two cents. Despite those flaws, I liked I liked the story. That's really all I've got. So right now, I'm going to take a podcast promo break. Then when I come back, I'm going to cover week six. Hang around, folks. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the league through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 15th, 1983, and we're going to start with Prisoners of Sleep. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Sleep, a demon from the dream world, 
is freed from his billion-year prison. Well, analysis confirmed the alien words translate to for crimes against the galaxy. For crimes against the galaxy? That must be some sort of punishment device. When I'm through with it, it won't punish anyone. <laughs> Thank you, foolish earthlings. That wasn't a device of punishment you just destroyed. It was my prison for the past billion years. The crimes against the galaxy were mine. <laughs> In that case, we'll just have to put you back where you belong. I, I, I'm losing consciousness. Oh, I guess I forgot to mention my name. I am Sleep, demon of the dream world. You're going to be a demon in a bottle now. Sleep tight, sleep. On the contrary, it is you who will sleep. <laughs> no, mustn't fall asleep. Your nightmares have just begun, my friends. Just begun. <laughs> he causes Batman and Superman to fall asleep and make their worst nightmares real. Wonder Woman comes to the rest. With the magic lasso tied around my waist, you will control my will. In exactly five minutes, I want you to tug on the lasso. Order me to wake up. But what if you don't? In that case, get out while you still can. I'm falling asleep. They put Sleep back in his little container and lock him there again. Thanks for your help. No sweat, Wonder Woman. I'm just glad you got Sleep back in his can. Let's hope he'll be resting peacefully for another billion years. Okay, so this is this episode is going to take us off of the normal plane of reality and into the dreams of Superman and Batman. If you wondered what these two superheroes will dream about, you're going to find that in this episode. So we start out with some kind of whole... Uh, deep on the ground where these two miners find some glowing orb. So, they need to call the Super Friends, because no one else is equipped to handle these. So, uh, Superman and Batman show up, and they go down to investigate the orb, and they can't read the inscription on the orb, but so they analyze it from one of the computers, either the Batcave or the Hall of Justice computer. It sent an immediate translation, the phrase for crimes against the galaxy, which to me is some kind of criminal sentencing thing. Superman, being the uh, big hero that he is, finds someone's imprisoned, I need to break him out. And Superman opens it, and out comes a demon who has been imprisoned for a billion years. Just so you know, Superman, not everything trapped in a small container is going to give you three wishes when you open it. Some things should stay back in the bottle. Or, in this case, the little orb with spikes. Which kind of looks a lot like the ship from Superman the movie. But that's neither here nor there. But Superman realizes his mistake immediately. And the animation does some great acting here. <laughs> Superman just kind of stands there with his jaw agape. Like he can't believe what he's, what he's done while he's realizing how much he's screwed up. So, so the demon is called Sleep. Which, any of you listeners out there are parents of young children man do they treat sleep like it's a demon just saying and um the demon puts both superman and batman to sleep and they have no defense for this at least not in, at this point in the episode so it is amusing as superman tries to grab the uh immaterial sleep demon and gets nothing just a handful of nothing for his trouble and uh batman uh tries to uh point something at a demon and that the demon just sucks itself into with a gun or whatever batman is pointing it looks like some kind of 
Ray, maybe it's a Phantom Zone projector or something, but sleep just goes right into it and melts it. So, they're in the dream world where Batman's symbol is immediately inverted for a minute due to a coloring error, but, you know, maybe Batman has nightmares about coloring errors, I don't know. So they're sent into the dream world where they encounter their worst nightmare. And Batman is facing all kinds of crazy stuff, from brittle buildings to snakes emerging from the street. And uh, Superman's uh, worst nightmare is everything he touches turned into kryptonite, which would be a nightmare if you were a kryptonian. Just imagine if the one thing you're vulnerable to is the one thing you created when it's chance. Not good. So, after five hours of not hearing from Superman and Batman, the miners call in Wonder Woman. Because Batman and Superman told them to stay out of the shaft. And if Batman and Superman tell you to stay out of a mine shaft, you best believe these guys are going to stay out of the mine shaft. So now Wonder Woman, who apparently has telepathic powers in this show, I know of no other incarnation of Wonder Woman that has telepathic powers. Maybe she did in the Silver and Bronze Age. Trust me, most Wonder Woman comics, honestly, I don't even want to say pre-New 52. That's probably the... I haven't read a ton of Wonder Woman. I've read some smatterings of the George Perez run and some Golden Age stuff here and there, but... I know of no time where Wonder Woman had telepathic powers. If you know of a time other than the Super Friends where Wonder Woman had telepathic powers, please let me know. Manascreen at gmail.com. So anyway, uh, Wonder Woman discovers that Batman and Robin are locked in the dream world. So Wonder Woman calls for a miner who now, now that Wonder Woman is asking him to come down to the mine, someone's willing to come down. So she ties the lasso around her waist, which will give the miner control over Wonder Woman's will. She better hope this guy has pure heart. I'm not sure what most most red-blooded Americans would do if they had control over Wonder Woman's will. Just saying. So Wonder Woman goes into the dream and tries to convince Superman that everything is a dream, and once he believes it, the kryptonite kind of just disappears and everything is fine again. And then they do the same thing for Batman. They just kind of yell at him, it's all a dream, and everything disappears, everything's good. And with the help of the miner, they wake up. So now sleep is going to double down and cover the whole planet. So basically, in the end, Superman inhales the demon and blows him back into his prison and welds it shut. Why didn't he just do that to begin with? Instead of trying to punch a gaseous demon, why didn't he just try to inhale it and blow it into the thing before it sent him into the dream world? What can you do? (laughs) It had to end quickly. The The most interesting stuff in this episode anyway was the stuff that happened inside the dream world. See, you know, you could have had a lot more fun with this concept over the course of 22 minutes instead of seven, but, you know, what can you do? These are the formats that this show has chosen to go in, and this is what we have to deal with. So, it is what it is. It was a fun story, but again, some of these things need to be longer than seven minutes. You just can't do... You could really have fun with Superman and Batman stuck in a dream world, but you're limited by the amount of time you have to wrap this story up. So let's move on to An Unexpected Treasure, and our synopsis is as follows. When two young boys do a bike jump into a restricted area, they find a flying saucer and take a ride at it. Uh-oh, it's the trouble alert. Justice League priority alert. Unidentified flying object heading 343 degrees. Present course will intersect with Metropolis in 2.5 minutes. Come on, Sam. We've got to intercept it. The Wonder Twins try to help them, but end up trapped in the saucer as well. Hawkman and Hawk, Hawk Girl come to rescue. Hawkman and Hawk Girl come to the rescue and save the others just before the ship goes back into space forever. I hope you guys have learned to look before you leap, especially in a flying saucer. Don't worry, Hawkman. From now on, I'm sticking to my bike. Yeah, on the ground. And next time you come across a warning sign, just remember that the warning is for your safety and others as well. I know someone who hasn't learned their lesson today. I don't know, Zan. Looks like Bleak learned to obey signs, too. (laughs) 
All right, here we go. Here is our middle episode, which is usually heavily involving the Wonder Twins, and that's nothing different here. And it's also our episode, which usually involves teens doing something stupid. Here we have a restricted area, and you just know something bad is going to happen here, because what bad doesn't happen in a restricted area? And uh, here we go. Here is our something bad. As these two kids are thrill-seeking, jump the fence on their bicycles, and they find something in the sand. And it looks like a small disc on the ground, and they uncover it, and they're looking through a hatch of a UFO. One of them suggests they shouldn't be messing with it. He's a sensible one of the two. There is always one that wants to not mess with it, and there's always one that wants to mess with it. And as usual, the one that wants to mess with it messes with it. So they go in, the uh, our one teen hits a button, and they're off. They are teenage dumbasses. So here are the twins and Gleek playing cards when the trouble alert goes up. Apparently, in this episode, the Hall of Justice is in Metropolis. I'm pretty sure... The hall has settled in Metropolis, but sometimes the show gives the impression that it's in Gotham. So Jaina becomes a falcon and Xana Cloud, and they're off. So they fly toward Metropolis, and the UFO is about to attack it for no apparent reason. But I guess the reason is that it's an alien planet, and it's in the flying saucer's way. But if they're attacking Metropolis, where is Superman? Well, he's not here. Let's just leave it at that. So uh, through these kids stumbling and bumbling, the twins get beamed into the ship, totally by accident. And uh, the twins apparently know where the ship came from. I don't care enough to uh, go back to the episode and uh, see where the ship came from, but they knew where it came from, and uh, that's really all that matters. So they're joyriding just as a Hawkman and Hawk Girl uh, get statues dedicated to them in the Metropolis Zoo. I thought they lived in Midway City, but oh well, I guess they're in Metropolis here and getting de- a dedication here. But more joyriding saws the statues in half like it, the ship is a circular saw, and now Hawkman and Hawk, Hawk Girl have been dragged into this misadventure and that's what most of these wonder twin episodes are misadventures one thing that does annoy me is the constant ramming of the wonder twins down our throats i'm sure kids would have been just satisfied with seeing the traditional justice leaguers and dc heroes without having to suffer through the wonder twins i don't even remember if i liked the wonder twins as a kid i mean i remember them but i don't remember whether i liked them or not my guess is i didn't because i probably wanted to see more superman and batman and all that stuff so now Things are getting worse as the ship is about to engage its hyperdrive and return to its home galaxy. So the kid basically says, It's all my fault. If I hadn't goofed off with the controls, we wouldn't be in this hot water. Wait a minute. Hot water. That's it. Hot water? Have you gone space happy, Zan? No, but if water gets hot enough, it turns to steam. And with enough steam pressure, I can blow the hatch. Great idea, Wonder Brother. Give me five. Wonder Twin Powers, activate. Form of steam. Hold your ears. I'm building up pressure. Hurry! There are only a few seconds left. And that gives Dan an idea. He needs to become steam to blow the hatch, which is basically water once it's uh, boiled and evaporated. So that works. Hawkman and her Hawk Girl get them out, and it's slightly amusing to see Jaina become a jellyfish and carry Gleek out of the ship. At first, it looks like they're falling, but before she becomes a parachute, and then the ship uh, disappears. It goes into hyperspace and goes home. Although, nobody asked this question, but with the ship going back to wherever it came from, where are the aliens? You didn't think of that, did you? I'll bet the writers didn't think of that either. So Hawkman then gives them a lecture about looking where they leap, and the kids promise to stay on the ground and not do any leaps into uh, restricted military areas. And uh, we end with a joke that has Gleek obeying a dump trash here sign, basically by crashing into it with a bike so that I guess becomes trash, I don't know. So, that's our typical Wonder Twins episode. Kids do something dumb, superheroes bail them out. And speaking of something dumb, let's move on to the Malusian Blob. And our synopsis is as follows. A blob from the planet Malusia attacks a space shuttle. 
Super friends, this is Shuttle Colony 2. Alien organism attacking. Gyro controls destroyed. It's no good, Batman. Their signal is shorted out. Robin, prepare the Bat Rocket for immediate takeoff. Let's roll. The dynamic duo on Black Vulcan managed to save the astronauts, but not the shuttle. As for the blob, it moves into Gotham City and eats away at almost everything. There's one last chance. Batman calling Colonel Peterson, NASA Control. Peterson here? What is it, Batman? I need to see the television pictures your astronauts took before the alien organism attacked the shuttle. I'll patch them in immediately. That's what I'm looking for. That canister came from the Malusian system. The Justice League computer should be able to decipher it. Alien symbols represent the formula of an artificial life form created to eat chemical waste products. Are there any known antidotes? Only one known substance will neutralize the organism. C12H22O11. But that's the chemical formula for common table sugar. Of course. By eating sugar, it'll burn its own energy and destroy itself. Black Vulcan, keep the blob busy until Robin and I get back. Will do, Batman. Batman and Robin learn that table sugar will destroy the blob and get the job done. I am deeply sorry, super friends. We will try not to be so careless in the future. If we had your substance called sugar, we would not have caused you so much trouble. We'll be glad to send you all you need to neutralize the rest of your chemical byproducts. However, if you develop a sweet tooth, <laughs> don't say we didn't warn you. <laughs> so this episode starts in space, in a neighboring solar system. And these aliens are sending something into space. And uh, now, we don't know what it is at first, but we're going to find out in a few minutes. Well, if you listen to me read the synopsis, we've already found out what it is. But anyway, astronauts in our solar system have found the remnants of my daughter's room in space, meaning a mess. But in the trash, they pick up a cylinder that contains the blob. You know, the, like, almost like a hexagonal sh cylinder type thing, uh, kind of a rod. But this cylinder it can basically contains the blob, which is the object of our story. And uh, they, of course, think it was something the previous astronauts just forgot to document and put on the manifest, but it clearly is not. So the astronauts call the Super Friends about the alien blob once it starts taking over their ship. As usual, people call the Super Friends and not, you know, mission control. So Black Vulcan and Ro Batman and Robin are on it. We're firing the Bat Rocket and uh, not calling Superman. He's out to lunch with Wonder Woman on Saturn, clearly. So Batman and Robin and Black Vulcan find the shuttle with the blob taking over. Now it's basically this kind of green goo that's covering the shuttle and basically it's kind of stripping the outer hull off of the ship. So the uh, Batman employs the Bat Harpoon, pulling the door right off the shuttle, and by some miracle of uh, physics, these astronauts are not sucked out into space by decompression, but it is a very good thing that they have their spacesuits on. Asphyxiation is not a good thing. So, uh, Batman thinks the blob is going to burn up in the atmosphere. It doesn't. And, as we find out the next day, when they, after they rescue the astronauts, the blob just kind of crawls up in Gotham Harbor. And it eats a wooden ship and basically strips it to stud. I, I, I need something like that for some of the, uh, construction projects I have going around in my house. So now we get worried about the blob in Gotham. It's uh, not very good to cars or buildings either, you know, stripping them down as well. And it doesn't really care for electricity too much, as Black Vulcan can make it retreat. Batman from the Batplane just goes goes for some liquid nitrogen, and all that does is piss it off. And uh, so, not being very effective with any uh, method of attack, Batman calls NASA and asks to see the pictures and uh, sees the object that the blob came out of. And when they see the cylinder, somehow, 
Batman knows the rod came from the Malusian system, and the Justice League computer is now going to give them the answer, which is table sugar. But the computer gives this whole uh, formula, whole uh, chemical formula, which I'm not going to repeat. But basically, it's the formula for the sugar you have in your kitchen. So uh, Batman and Robin head to Costco and bring, no, no, they don't go to Costco, they go to the Gotham Sugar Refinery, where they just bring a whole like trailer full of granulated sugar, and the answer is to give the blob diabetes. While that's happening, a piece of the blo- of the blob gets on Black Vulcan, and he says it's eating through his costume. At least it only doesn't go all the way through. I have no desire to see a naked Black Vulcan on this program. And uh, they uh, drop the sugar down, and the blob just kind of goes away and disintegrates. So yeah, if you're ever attacked by an alien blob, just dump some sugar on it. So the episode ends with Emelusian apologizing for the damage their toxic waste caused. But as some people on this planet apologize for the damage some of their toxic waste caused, but let's not get into that any further. So now a sugar is going to become one of Earth's great exports as uh, Batman and Robin are going to send the Emelusians all the sugar they need, which will help them take care of their toxic waste and make them unhealthy. So, not a great episode, but it's not bad, I guess. It just it just is, and so are we. What we are is on to the next episode, which which will be covered next week. As next week, I finish uh, my coverage of the Super Friends Lost Season. In the meantime, if you would like to send me an email, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, and uh, speaking of the uh, Facebook group, uh, Dwayne S. Vogel has asked uh, to join the group. So, welcome, Dwayne. If you want to join the group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can join the conversation there. And also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Scream is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.